Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 4. We're going to cover the first 26 verses of this chapter this morning. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Back in the 8th century, there was a small kingdom named Cordova. Today, that is a city in Spain, but back then, it was its own separate kingdom. And in the 8th century, they had a king named Abdal Rahman III. You see a statue uh, that was erected of him that you, is still there in that city today. He reigned in Cordova for many peaceful and prosperous years. Towards the end of his life, however, he looked back and he wrote down the following reflection. I have now reigned above 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies. Riches and honors, power and pleasure have waited on my call, nor does any earthly blessing appear to have been wanting to my felicity. In this situation, I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have befallen my lot. They amount to 14. O man, place not thy confidence in this present world. Here is a man who had it all, power, money, pleasure, and yet when he looked back on his life, he could almost count on his fingers how many truly happy days he had experienced. He had everything his heart could desire, and yet he was empty. And you know what? A thousand two hundred years later, here we are, and nothing has changed this world is still full of people who are desperately looking for some way to fill that void that is inside of them. This world is full of people who are trying to find fulfillment in fame or money or pleasure or sex. And yet no matter how much they drink from any of the wells of this world, they are still empty. Maybe that's your story. Maybe if you were to be really honest, that's where you are right now. And if so, I have good news for you. That can change and that can change today. In our passage this morning, Jesus met a Samaritan woman. She too was empty. She had a spiritual thirst inside of her that she could not quench. Jesus met her and he offered her living water. He said, if you drink from the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Now what Jesus offered to her, he is also offering to us. As we read this story, there are a few things that I want us to notice about how we can experience this living water and how we can pass that on to others as well. And first of all, I want you to notice the barriers Jesus crossed. 
the barriers that Jesus crossed in order to bring this living water to just one person. Look at verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, chapter 3 says that Jesus and the disciples were in Judea. They were baptizing there, almost certainly in the Jordan. Now they're going to Galilee, which means all they really had to do was go straight north up the Jordan Valley in order to get there. But notice it says in verse 4 that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Now, the Pharisees would do everything they could to avoid going through Samaria. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. This was not a geographical necessity. This was a spiritual necessity. Jesus felt an inner compulsion inside of him to go where others would not go and to reach those that others would not reach. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he knew that his father had a divine appointment waiting for him and Jesus was always willing to leave the multitude in order to reach just one. So look at verse 5. When he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's interesting, as much as the Gospel of John emphasizes the divinity of Jesus, John also emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. The Bible says they came to Sychar, and he was weary. In fact, he was so weary, the Bible says that the other disciples just left him there by the well, and they went into town to go buy food without him. Furthermore, we're told it was the sixth hour as they counted the hours. That means it was noon. It was the heat of the day. And there at noon, Jesus, completely exhausted, he sat down by Jacob's well. That well is still there today. Maybe some of you who have been to Israel have seen it. Technically, they built a church on top of it, so you have to go down into the basement, and there it is. But that well, Jacob's well, is still there today. And I want you to notice what happened in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to drink water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. As Jesus was sitting by that well, here comes a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, in that moment, he did something that was unthinkable. He opened his mouth and spoke to her. That's it. In fact, you can kind of hear the amazement in her verse, in her voice, in her reply. Uh, you, excuse me, you are speaking to me. You see, when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman, he immediately crossed at least three barriers that others were not willing to cross. He crossed the barrier of race, 
Verse 9 said that Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Well, why was that? You had this conflict. It went back over 700 years. When the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, they then intermarried with their captors and became the Samaritans. They were half Jewish and half Gentile. Years later, when the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, those Jews refused to intermarry with their captors. They were completely Jewish. They looked down on the Samaritans. In fact, after the exile, the Bible says they were rebuilding the temple. And you know what happened? The Samaritans showed up and offered to help them. And they said, um, thanks, but no thanks. You are not welcome to worship in our temple. The Samaritans said, fine, we'll build our own temple on Mount Gerizim. And they did exactly that. But this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans had gone on for centuries. It ran very deep. The fact that Jesus was even willing to reach out to this Samaritan was in itself astounding. But there's more. He also crossed the barrier of gender. Do you understand that rabbis in those days did not speak to women? In fact, there was this joke that they had in those days. They referred to the Pharisees as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. You know why they were called that? Because supposedly, as the joke went, if a Pharisee was walking down the street and here came a woman, he would close his eyes rather than interact with her. And then, of course, he would walk into a pole or a wall and scratch his head or break his nose. Thus, they were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Now, that was probably an exaggeration, but you get the point. No other rabbi would have given this woman the time of day. But Jesus did. He crossed the barriers of race and gender and of reputation. There's a reason why this woman was at that well at that time. Women in those days, they didn't draw water from wells in the heat of the day. They went in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. And this woman certainly did not have to leave Sychar and walk a half a mile away to draw water from Jacob's well when she could have drawn water from the wells in her own hometown. Why is she doing that? Well, I think it's pretty clear we read further in the passage and we see that this was a very sinful woman with a very bad reputation. This woman didn't want to deal with the scorn or the insults from the other women drawing water from the wells. But Jesus did not let her past keep him from reaching out to her and offering her that living water that she so desperately needed. Now, Jesus crossed these barriers of race and gender and reputation. Isn't it interesting? The same barriers that we see Jesus tearing down so many people in our society today are trying to build back up. And we must never allow any man-made barriers to keep us from preaching the gospel, from ministering to people, or demonstrating the love of God. So let me ask you a question. What barriers have kept you from doing what God wants you to do? What barriers 
have you allowed to get in your way? What barriers are you willing to cross to take the gospel to someone who needs to hear it? The barrier of culture? The barrier of race? The barrier of economic status? The barrier of immigration status? The barrier of language? Folks, we are surrounded by people just like the Samaritan woman, and we're going to have to cross some barriers if we want to reach them. We see the barriers Jesus crossed, but then we get into the real heart of the story, and we see the longing Jesus fulfills. The longing Jesus fulfills. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sitting there by that well in the heat of the day, I bet Jesus was thirsty, but Jesus did not ask her for water because of his thirst. He asked her for water so that he could show her the thirst that was in her. Everything Jesus says and does in this conversation is for the purpose of helping her see her need and that Jesus is the solution to it. Now, more than likely, John doesn't record every single word of the conversation. He's giving us the main points here. But notice that he claims to have living water. That water from Jacob's well, it was stagnant. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, I've got water that's better than this water. Now, there were numerous verses in the Old Testament that spoke of the Messiah as having and offering living water. In Isaiah 12, with joy you will draw waters from the well of salvation. And so maybe this is why Jesus said to her, if only you knew who it was who asked for a drink, you would have asked him for living water. Jesus isn't talking about literal water. He's talking about water for your soul. Now, this Samaritan woman, she doesn't pick up on that right away. So look at verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Well, obviously, Jesus is talking about one kind of water, and she's talking about another kind of water. She asks, how are you going to give me water when you don't even have a bucket? And you're telling me that your water is better? Do you not know Jacob himself dug this well? You're telling me that you are better than Jacob? Of course, the answer to her question was, yes. She's staring right at Jacob's creator and just doesn't know it. But look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst 
But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is helping this woman to see that there is a similarity between what she was doing every day at that well and what she was doing with her life. Every day she went to that well, she went to Jacob's well to draw water because every day she was thirsty and yet every day, no matter how much water she would draw from that well, it would not and it could not permanently satisfy her thirst. Likewise, this woman was going daily to the wells of this world. And we find out that this woman had one particular spiritual well that she was turning to and drawing from. And this well also was unable to satisfy her spiritually. This woman kept drawing water from the wells of romance. We read a few verses later, she'd been married five times. She probably got married and thought, now this will satisfy me. But then the euphoria wore off. She leaves them for somebody else. But then that doesn't work either. She tries this again three more times. And yet she still cannot find what she's looking for. Finally, she gives up on the idea of marriage altogether. And the Bible says that she was living with someone who was not her husband. But that didn't work either. She's still empty. And just as the waters of Jacob's well were unable to permanently satisfy her physical thirst, the waters of this world could not satisfy her spiritual thirst. Thus, Jesus said to her in verse 13, if you drink this water, meaning Jacob's well, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. But there is a sense in which you could take that statement and that verse and you can write it over every single one of the wells of this world. You can write John 4:13 over every watering hole in this world. If you drink of this water, you will thirst again. If you drink from the well of human approval and applause, you will thirst again. If you drink from the well of human achievement, you will thirst again. If you drink from the well of money or power or sex or fame, you will thirst again. But he said, whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. Because the satisfaction that deep down we are looking for, listen, it is not found in the bottom of a bottle and it's not found in the bed of another lover. It is only found in Christ. In knowing Him and loving Him and belonging to Him. And in Him, we have this never-ending supply of water and we never have to thirst again. Now, I've experienced this. I can tell you it is real. And I bet many of you have experienced this as well. Jesus not only gives us this water, He said it will be a fountain springing up. Now, if Jesus had stopped right there, 
If there were a period right there in verse 14, that by itself would be fantastic. Just the thought that the peace of God and the love of God and the joy and the blessings would spring up from us and overflow from us to all of those around us. That by itself is awesome. But that's just the beginning. Jesus said this fountain will spring up into everlasting life. In other words, for the child of God, we're just getting started. The best is always yet to come. Now, this part, the conversation, I think she's starting to realize that Jesus is talking about something bigger and greater than she had imagined. I imagine in her heart, she's hoping that this is real. And so look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She wants it. She needs it. And now she's ready to learn how she can have it. And that leads to the last part of this story that we're going to see. We see the barriers that Jesus crossed. We see the longing that Jesus fulfills. But then we also see the provision Jesus offers. Jesus does something that surprises us in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Why in the world would Jesus, at this point in the conversation, talking about living water, why in the world would Jesus abruptly tell her to go and get her husband. You know why? Because Jesus was so close to the Father, he already knew the story. He already knew that she had gone from one husband to the next and was living with somebody else. And so do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's kind of like that doctor who puts his finger on the spot that hurts right there. We found the problem. He's pointing out her sin. Now, he doesn't do it harshly. Jesus was only harsh with people who were full of pride, normally religious leaders. With everybody else, he gently nudged them and helped them to see their sin. He didn't ignore their sin, but he helped them to see it so that they could confess it and repent of it and be saved. Now, if Jesus had been talking to somebody else, he might well have said to them, go get your business partner that you cheated and come back here. Or he may have said to somebody else, go get that wife that you abused and then come back here. He may have said to somebody else, go get those children you neglected, that you abandoned, and come back here. But to her, he said, Go get your husband and come back here. And when Jesus did that, just by making that request, 
He forced her to confront her own sin. And notice how she responded in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She understands that Jesus knows things that other people don't know. And she's got a very important question. And so she's going to ask it. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Well, what's going on here? A lot of commentators and a lot of pastors, when they preach this passage, they suggest that she brought up this issue of what mountain to go to and where you should worship because Jesus just brought up her sin and she didn't want to talk about that. We can understand that view. Maybe you've been there, you're sharing the gospel with someone and the moment you begin to talk about their sin, they're ready to talk about something else. We'll chase some theological rabbit, but let's not talk about that. And so I understand that position. I respect that position. In fact, I used to hold that position, but I do not anymore. Can I offer you uh, another uh, interpretation, another way of perhaps looking at this encounter? When Jesus brought up the Samaritan woman's sin, she immediately understood that she was guilty and she understood that there had to be a sacrifice. Now, the Samaritans then and today, they only believe in the first five books of the Old Testament. This woman, however, just from hearing or reading Genesis through Deuteronomy, she picked up on the fact that where there's sin, sin requires a sacrifice. She knew that much. But there's a problem. The Samaritan said, well, if you're going to offer a sacrifice, you've got to go to Mount Gerizim. You've got to go to our temple, and you've got to sacrifice there. And by the way, did you know that still to this day, there's a community of Samaritans who are still offering animal sacrifices on Mount Gerizim? The Samaritans say, if I want to be forgiven, i got to go there and make a sacrifice. But the Jews say, no, you don't go over there. You go over here. You go to Jerusalem. You go to the temple. And on that point, they were right. God never authorized a separate temple in Samaria. But it's as if this woman is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know I'm guilty. I know I must bring an offering for my sin, but where do I go? Where can I find atonement for my sin and all the things that I've done? Little did she know she was looking right at him. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So listen to what he said in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. She thinks that the issue here is which mountain she should go to to make atonement for her sin. Jesus is going to show her that the issue here is not about 
where you go. It's about who you know. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. What does that mean? It means that it was through Israel, not Samaria. It was through Israel that God made this promise, that he promised to send a Messiah, a Savior. Through Israel, the tribe of Judah, a son of David. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This Samaritan woman needed to understand that God desired one thing from her, just one thing. He didn't want her to crawl up Mount Gerizim and perform some strange religious ritual. He didn't want her to offer another animal sacrifice. The one thing God wanted from her, her worship. And please understand, when we're talking about worship here, I'm not talking about merely sitting through a worship service, although, yes, the Bible says it is important that we gather together. No, I'm talking about something much deeper. This kind of worship is a worship that flows from the heart of the redeemed. Because when you have tasted the living waters that Jesus is talking about here, you cannot help yourself. Worship is going to be your natural response. And from that point forward, everything you do is an act of worship. All of a sudden you realize worship is not an event that occurs in a place. No, worship is a lifestyle that takes place in a person. This is what God desires from her. And Jesus said the Father seeks those who will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, to worship in truth means we worship God as he has revealed himself according to the truth of God's word. And we would say he is one God in three persons, that he is omnipotent, that he is omnipresent and omniscient, that he is holy and he is loving and he is just and he is merciful, and he's good, and he is sovereign, and he is unchanging. He is all of these things. We must worship him in truth, and Jesus said we must worship him in spirit, which here means to worship from the very depths of our being. Listen to me, worship is not an outward performance. Worship is not about style. This is not a show. This is genuine, true, heartfelt worship. And what God wanted was simply to take this Samaritan woman who was empty and broken, and he wanted to transform her and turn her into a true worshiper who could not help but praise God because there was a fountain of life inside of her that was erupting from within. That's what God wants. 
Now, Jesus is getting close. He's about to close the deal, as we would say. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We'll finish this story next Sunday, but this woman didn't know a lot of theology. She did know that God had promised a Messiah. Didn't know a lot about him, but she knew that God had promised to send a Messiah. He had promised to send a Savior who would reveal all things, who would fix all things, who would save us from our sin. And now she's ready. So finally, in verse 26, Jesus said, I am he. I am he. It's me. I'm the one you've been looking for. And you know what? That's exactly what he's saying to each and every one of us this morning. Stop going to the wells of this world thinking that they're going to satisfy you when all they're going to do is leave you empty. Come to the well that never runs dry. The very last page of your Bible, almost the last verse of the Bible, but it is this last great invitation that God gives in Revelation 22, 17. Listen to what it says. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's what Jesus offered her. And that's what God is offering every one of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus who lived and died and rose again so that we could experience living water from the well of salvation that never runs dry so that we could have this fountain springing up from within us into everlasting life. God, I know that everyone here who has tasted of that living water knows that it's real and it's good. I pray for those who maybe are here this morning who have never done so. They're still going to the wells of this world looking for that filling, for that satisfaction, but they're not going to find it there. And so I pray this morning, by your grace, you would open blind eyes and help them to see that it's only found in you, that only Jesus offers us this living water. I pray that this would be that day that, like that Samaritan woman, they recognize their sin. They come face to face with it and realize they cannot save themselves. They cannot undo the things they've done. They can come and they can drink of this water freely because you tell us whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, God, thank you. And Father, I pray if there's any here today who needs to receive this great offer, that this would be their day of salvation. And God, I pray for every one of us here that we would not be tempted 
to try and go back for, to those wells of this world that have nothing to offer us, but that we would daily enjoy that, that living water from that well of salvation, that it would overflow from us and touch everybody around us. And God, as we get ready to observe the Lord's Supper and as we remember the price Jesus paid to make this living water possible, would you help us to examine ourselves? Would you help us to see if there's any unconfessed sin in our lives that we need to confess or deal with, that we would do that? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, I'm going to give you a moment to just pray. The Bible does tell us we are to examine ourselves before we observe the Lord's Supper. And so I would encourage you to take just a few moments in silent prayer and ask God to show you if there's anything that you need to confess before Him or turn from. And uh, after a moment of prayer, we'll all come back and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But let me just say, if you're here today, maybe you are like that Samaritan woman and maybe you're that person. You've been going to all of the wells of this world and yet, even though there's some temporary thrill, they just keep leaving you empty. And you know that now's that time, today's that day, that you need to receive this living water in Christ. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And maybe this morning, you need to take that critical step, that most important step of faith in your whole entire life, and you would say, that's me, I'm that Samaritan woman, I need to come to Christ, I need to be saved, I need that living water, I want to accept him and confess him as Lord of my life today. Anybody here today that would say, oh, pastor, yep, that's me. I've never done that, but I'm tired of going to the wells of this world, and this morning I want to give my heart and my life to Christ just by raising your hand so I can see, so I can know, so I can pray for you. Anybody here in this room, just so I can know that, would you please raise your hand? And if you're here and you're watching online, we want to hear from you as well. Would you please text that number that is on your screen and then click on that link and uh, please let us know if you're taking that step, if you're following Christ, or if you just have questions, if you want to continue the conversation, you can do that as well. But would you please take a moment and, and just text the word connect to that number on the screen so that we can know that and follow up with you.